This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. According to Branding Wisdom, the best way to become a strong brand is to be first. When you're innovating, if you're not first, you're last. Think about it. Domino's was the first home-delivered pizza. Coca-Cola, the first in the cola market. And then there's Kleenex. All of these brands were the first to offer a particular product, and now they're synonymous with them. This theory, however, breaks down in technology markets. When it comes to tech, consumers tend to be approximately five years behind breakthroughs, so being first doesn't seem to matter. Plus, manufacturers have a tough time predicting how consumers will adopt that technology. Think cell phones. Most early producers underestimated the power of texting. And then there is one of the all-time technology brand failures to come out of the 80s. And it happened after an epic battle. I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s, a podcast about a decade that forever changed the way we dress, consumed, and connected. On today's dizzying journey, I take you through a console war that forever changed the way we consume content. This is the story of... VHS versus Beta. Before the advent of home video players, anything you watched was a one-time event. No reliving sports moments, that Hail Mary pass during the Super Bowl, no rewatching your favorite movie or TV show. Then there was the panic of leaving the room during a commercial break and hearing it's on while you were still in the bathroom. Fandom, collecting, and investment in movies didn't exist unless you had a place to store reels and your own projector. Before the late 70s or 80s, movies were only in theaters for a short time, and if you missed it, you missed it. Video cassette recorders, or VCRs, were electromechanical devices that recorded analog audio and analog video from broadcast television or other source on removable magnetic tape video cassettes and allowed playback of the recordings. The VCR as a tape player actually goes back way further than you may realize. The Ampex Corporation created the VCR in 1956, and it was called the VRX-1000. It used a rotating head design to record video and audio on a magnetic track and cost an eye-watering $50,000. Adjust that for inflation, and today it would equal over a half million dollars. Obviously, no one could afford to pay for something like this, and even if they could, they needed an actual technician to help run it. 
The super expensive rotating heads only had a lifespan of a few hundred hours, so they constantly needed replacing. The VRX-1000 was only accessible by the big TV networks and some of the larger individual stations because it was too expensive, complicated, and impractical for smaller ones. Those networks that invested in the technology instantly recognized the possibilities with this new videotape recorder because not everything had to be live. In the early days of television, going back to the 1930s in Britain on the BBC and the 1940s in North America, most of everything you watched was being broadcast in real time. There were no real delays. The VRX-1000 was a solution to that problem and allowed networks to get away from live TV and be able to air shows at different times and in different time zones. And, most importantly, they could sell original shows to other stations and channels. But the technology wasn't there yet. The Kinescope was one of the first attempts to capture live TV for later broadcasts. Kinescope was basically pointing a movie camera at a monitor and recording what was on it. The quality was atrocious, but the networks could at least rebroadcast a program. Then, in 1955, the Dumont Network took things to the next level. The Dumont Network was one of America's pioneer commercial television networks, rivaling NBC and CBS for being first overall in the United States. It was owned by Allen B. Dumont Laboratories, a television equipment and set manufacturer, and began operation on June 28, 1942. Less than 10 years later, they came up with the Electronicam system, which allowed them to record their shows live onto film and easily rebroadcast them later. The quality was light years better, and one of the first shows to use the technology was The Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason. You know that sign they have in the post office, the mail gets through no matter what kind of weather? You know why? Because the mailman rides with me! <laughs> in the classic 39 Honeymooners episodes, you'll notice how good the quality is compared to earlier episodes and clips. This is because it was recorded on real film as opposed to kinescope. However, those Honeymooners episodes were still basically a live broadcast as they weren't editing the film, so everything that happened live stayed in the recording. The cast of the Honeymooners would perform their entire episode in one take while it was recorded on the Electronicam film system, but it meant they didn't have to do multiple live performances. Today, this still happens for certain shows like Late Night with Jimmy Fallon in what is called filming live to tape. Back in the 50s, things were improving, but the electronic cam was still a complicated film-based real recording system. The VRX-1000 allowed them to take the same approach, but with the much easier new tape format, which allowed a whole new future for television. One of the first adopters of the new technology was CBS, who aired tape-delayed broadcasts of the news. But it would be years until an application for home use became a reality. Sony demonstrated a videocassette prototype in October 1969 in Japan, and then set it aside to work out an industry standard by March 1970 with seven fellow manufacturers. The result was the Sony U-Matic. This was the world's first video cassette recording format. The cartridges were large and at first only had a maximum playing time of 60 minutes. 
the Sony Color Video Cassette. Key to television on command. With it, you control the program choice, the time, the audience. It's everything we'd like a book to be. Up to an hour of color, sound, action, ready to entertain or motivate or teach us, to reach us when we're eager to watch and listen. It's a whole new concept in television. Competing brand Philips was also looking to get into the same market. They released a video cassette format in 1970 that was specifically made for TV stations. It would then become available on the consumer market in 1972. The machine was originally called the N1500, but they had a different name for this new format, Video Cassette Recording or VCR. By 1985, 30% of the population would own one of these VCRs. But before that would happen, the system split into two different formats, Beta and VHS. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In 1974, Sony released the prototype for their new video recording system called Beta for electronic manufacturers and expected that they would back a single format for the good of all. But competing manufacturer JVC decided to go with its own format, the Video Home System, or VHS. This seemingly simple change in direction caused enough of a commotion that Sony appealed to the Japanese Ministry of Trade and Industry. Sony believed there should only be one standard video format, but Sony didn't get what they wanted. And so the scene was set for the videotape format war. Sony was first to the market when it released the first Betamax machines in 1975. They used cassette tapes with a half-inch wide tape inside, making the tape about hand-sized. The name Beta has a double meaning. In Japanese, the word describes the way signals are recorded on the tape. The logo of the lowercase b demonstrates the way the tape moves throughout the machine. The concept of recording TV was pretty mind-blowing, and Sony advertised the fact that you could, quote, watch whatever, whenever. The new era of home video recording would allow us to record and preserve time. The Betamax was basically a time machine, allowing you to revisit the past whenever you wanted, whether that was a sitcom you recorded yesterday or an old movie from the 1930s. And possibly the biggest innovation in the history of the human species, you could fast forward through commercials with these machines. Although Betamax initially owned 100% of the market in 1975, the one problem that plagued Sony right out of the gate was the length of the tape. The TV industry standard was a tape length of one hour because most shows never went longer than an hour, including commercials. Plus, studios had multiple machines and technicians who were able to change the tape. 
60 minutes of recording capability seemed fine, and Sony saw no reason why the general public wouldn't want the same. Sony was king of electronics, and Betamax would be the crown jewel of video quality. The company put out a promotional video called The Flying Clouds that demonstrated this astonishing new era of sound and picture quality. In department and electronic stores, when paired with the iconic Sony Trinitron TV, consumers were astounded by the picture quality. And, unlike those old flickering broadcasts of yesteryear, the Betamax image was extremely stable. Sony also shared with consumers that the Betamax tape was high in quality and did not deteriorate with time. This would be a lasting technology. Spoiler alert, it wouldn't. But now, with Betamax, you didn't have to miss out on your favorite shows. Thanks to Sony, you could watch one show while recording another. This obviously became commonplace, but remember, at the time, this was another mind-blowing innovation. Another of the big selling points was simply the fact that Betamax was made by Sony, which was seen as an elite electronics company. This new technology was also coveted by wealthy people who always wanted to own the latest and greatest. This may have also led to Beta being considered the superior brand as the wealthy proudly displayed them in their homes like it was a status symbol. Meanwhile, JVC was busy creating their own format. Dubbed the Video Home System or VHS, it was first released in 1977. This is how it was advertised back then. Marty, shh, you'll scare the fish. Oh, we're missing the big football Relax. game. Relax, my VHS home video recorder is taping it right now. Terrific. Watch. Terrific. But suppose it's over three hours. Relax, Panasonic VHS tapes up to four hours of sports, movies, specials on one cassette. Wow. This VHS is for me. We caught the whole game. Best catch of the day. Yeah. All these companies give you VHS, and only VHS can give you four hours. JVC had actually been playing around with this format as early as 1971 and came up with a very specific set of guidelines that would be paramount for the company. Call it the VHS Bible. It called for the system to be compatible with any ordinary television set with a picture quality similar to normal air broadcasts. The big key for JVC was that tape length must be at least two hours and that they may be interchangeable between different machines. The goal was that the overall system be versatile, meaning it could be expanded by connecting a video camera or dubbing between two recorders. As opposed to beta, they put consumers' needs first and wanted their tapes to be compatible with recorders that were produced in high volume, affordable, easy to operate with low maintenance costs because their parts would be interchangeable. They would also be easier to service. One of the big differences was that JVC wanted their format to be used by other manufacturers and not controlled by them. This open standard existed in stark contrast to what Sony wanted with Beta. So, JVC persuaded Hitachi, Mitsubishi, and Sharp to sail aboard the good ship VHS. The VHS format also had some features like the ability to rewind and fast forward at a much faster rate than Beta. 
VHS used a bigger videotape than the more compact and convenient Beta, but with one big difference. It had a longer recording time. Right out of the gate, a VHS tape could record two hours on the standard setting. Beta was limited to just an hour of recording. This could be stretched to 90 minutes and possibly a few hours, but this was only on the highest end recorders that the average consumer couldn't afford. VHS allowed the recording of most broadcasted movies, including commercials, or for regular sitcoms without diminishing the quality. It didn't take long for some adjustments to be made. A VHS VCR could soon have those different recording settings, SP, LP, and SLP. You could now slow down the speed of the tape as it recorded, which would reduce the quality, but give you double and triple the storage capacity. Also, the larger cassette size of the VHS tape was big enough to hold around 1400 feet of tape. Beta just couldn't match this, and you now could fit six hours of recordings on a VHS with no problem. Recording time really became the centerpiece of the format war. On June 4, 1977, the VHS officially reached North American shores. The new VHS video system was unveiled at a press conference just before that year's CES Consumer Electronics Show in Chicago. When it came down to quality, it appeared that Beta had VHS beat. Both formats used a horizontal resolution involving lines and Beta had a slightly higher resolution of around 250 lines. They could get this up to as much as 290 lines with the Super Beta. There's always been this idea that Beta was vastly superior when it came to picture quality and sound, but when you look back at the technical details of two average machines, they ended up being almost identical. It was the earliest version of Beta that had a superior picture, but superiority dwindled as time went on. But the sheen of higher quality stayed with Beta because of how Sony marketed it, like in this ad from 1984. If you're looking at video cassette recorders and you're confused by all your choices, just look at the most important feature of all, the picture. And Sony Betamax records a sharper picture than VHS. That's not just our opinion. In tests throughout the country, more people said the picture was sharper with Sony Betamax than VHS. So why doesn't anyone else talk sharper picture? Because no one else can. Betamax, a sharper picture. They would even up the ante with even more high-quality versions like Beta Hi-Fi, Super Beta Max, and Extended Definition Beta Max. These additions would improve on picture quality and sound and begin to address the issue of the runtime of the tapes. The limited recording time on the tapes was causing a bit of a rumbling among consumers. But the average person didn't necessarily care about video and sound quality. They just wanted value. And this became another battle in the VHS beta format wars. Because VHS's open standard allowed other manufacturers into the mix, they could all compete against one another while beta remained on its own. In 1976, the average price for a VCR was around $1,200. Converted for today, that's a whopping $6,200. The competition allowed for lower prices for the consumer and, ultimately, more sales overall. 
In just its first year, the VHS format took 40% of the market share away from Sony. The VHS format made VCRs instantly popular, and by 1984, there were over 70 different manufacturers. By 1985, the format war was really heating up, and it was swaying in favor of VHS. More options meant lower prices, and Sony just didn't have the volume of production. An article by the Chicago Tribune from September 1985 said most of the VHS machines sold for between $200 to $400, which today would be the equivalent of $550 to $1,000. You could even buy a bare-bones VHS for $169 or $466 when converted for today. Not overly cheap, but a hell of a lot better than the earlier ones that cost $1,300 and the quality was better. The $250 VCR in 1985 was leaps and bounds better than the versions of the late 70s. Those first iterations really didn't have any features to speak of. By the mid 80s, we had remote controls, freeze frames, slow motion, and on-screen programming to record multiple shows while we were out. All the innovations, features, and new value made them more popular than ever with 11.5 million units sold in 1985. This doubled the amount of the previous year. What was once a status symbol in the late 70s was now in most homes. And when it came to the format war, the VHS options were hundreds of dollars less than Betamax machines. Truthfully, the average person didn't even really know the difference between the formats and just went for the cheaper price tag. And that happened to be VHS. So although the Betamax did have a slightly better picture, a bit better audio, and a more stable image, it wasn't enough for the average person to notice or care about. And then besides the price, there was the issue of the recording time and nothing made it more obvious than football. The average game can last up to three hours and Betamax tapes just couldn't handle it. A Betamax tape could fit a few TV shows and maybe a movie if you could afford a machine that allowed for the setting change, but they just couldn't fit an entire football game. Having games cut out before they were over was actually a deciding factor for many people when choosing between VHS or Beta. In their marketing, companies pushed the fact that VHS could record a football game on a single cassette. Quote, only VHS can give you four hours, unquote. This was yet another blow to Sony. And also, it didn't take long for the VCR to become synonymous with VHS and vice versa. Although Betamax owned 100% of the market in 1975, by 1980, VHS was controlling 60% of the market. By 1981, beta sales had dropped to just 25% of the entire VCR market. By 1986, it was just 7.5%. At the height of their popularity in 1984, 50 million Betamax cassettes were shipped, but ultimately, VHS just shipped much more. There's always been this myth that the adult film industry was involved with pushing Betamax away for not wanting to be their format of choice, but there's no truth to this. It was the combination of poor sales and also the huge home video rental market that was emerging. 
Movie studios, video studios, and all the new rental stores were turning away from Betamax. Fewer and fewer people were choosing the more expensive option with the limited recording capacity. And it just wasn't worth it for these stores to stock every movie title in beta format. A mom-and-pop video store just couldn't afford to bring in beta copies of a new release with the off chance someone might own beta. In most cases, they would just sit on the shelves. Make sure you check out one of my earlier episodes on how the Top Gun VHS release changed the home video rental market forever to get the whole story behind this, but before the mid-80s, owning a movie was incredibly expensive. Even in 1985-1986, a new release would go for as much as $80, or nearly $220 when converted for today. Movie studios had no interest in home video at first and wanted to encourage people to go back to theaters instead. The first video rental stores in a pre-blockbuster era were considered illegal by the studios as they were leasing out copyrighted material. Stores got around this by charging membership fees, if you remember that. These annual dues work like a rental club, which worked around the potential legal problem. The membership fees also helped to offset the cost of the extraordinarily expensive movies. In the case of the format wars, stocking multiple beta versions of a movie would just not be cost efficient. But Top Gun changed all this when Paramount released it for only $29.95. The movie was front-loaded with Diet Pepsi commercials as a way to offset the costs and make up for lost money from a theatrical re-release. One of the appeals of home video was no commercials, but if this meant a lower price tag, it was worth it. And we could fast forward through them anyway. More studios would do this, and it led to more affordable rental prices and the explosive growth of the home video sales and rental market. And with fewer titles and copies in the emerging home video market, beta just got pushed further to the side. The higher cost, the recording time issue, and the low market share allowed VHS to keep a distant lead. By 1987, 90% of the VCR market, a now $5.25 billion industry, belonged to the VHS format. Sales of beta eventually dwindled enough to allow VHS to emerge as the victor in the format wars. The final nail in the coffin came in 1988 when Sony essentially threw in the towel. They started making VHS machines. Surprisingly, though, they would still make beta machines until 2002, and they were even still manufacturing the tapes up until 2015. Sony's blunder was holding on to the idea that people wanted superior quality, but that wasn't the case. VHS would rule for an amazing 40 years, but ultimately the VHS format would die out too, losing the next format war to the DVD and then Blu-ray. But the sign of the strength of VHS still exists, as you can still see the odd VHS-DVD combo machines for sale. Growing up, I only knew two people who owned a Betamax, and one of them was my grandpa. And even he would end up getting a higher-end VHS when they became available. For the rest of us, we could now own the movies we love and rewatch them at any time. The VCR was critical in our appreciation of movies and TV and helped to create the deep fandoms that go strong to this day. 
I missed it in the theaters when a potato was used as an asteroid in The Empire Strikes Back, but now that I had a VCR, I could pause and see it. So remember to be kind and rewind. And also remember that without beta, there would be no VHS. And that is why VHS is a definitive part of the 80s. So thank you so much for listening. If this is your first time checking us out and you like what you heard, there's plenty more where that came from. So please jump back in the DeLorean and go back. There are a ton of other great episodes for you to sink your teeth into. And if you enjoyed this episode, do me a solid and give it a five-star rating and review. That helps other people find these amazing stories and lets us all remember our favorite things from the past. Everything 80s is written and produced by me, Jamie Logie, with producer Dila Velasquez. Audio design and production by Rob Johnson. And if you're in a position to support the show, you can consider becoming a part of Patreon.com. That's the platform to get access to bonus audio content. If you want to learn more, you can head to Patreon.com slash 80s. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash 80s. Or click on the link in the description. Until next time, I'm Jamie Logie, and this is Everything 80s. Everything 80s.